Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Being as excited in my life as I am right now about the power of prayer. It's just incredible the things that is happening just now uh, around about prayer. Mm. On Monday nights we have our Monday night prayer meeting when we gather in here and I tell you, I absolutely love those times when we come on a Monday night. And some of the things that's happened on those Monday nights uh, in this room where people have shared uh, prophetic words, people have had words of knowledge that has then led to praying for someone in the room who's been healed in that moment. It's just been incredible, the answers to prayers that's happened as a result of our Monday night prayer meetings. And it only lasts for an hour. And let me tell you, there's some Mondays where I'm thinking, how can we be finished already? Uh Like, surely it's not been an hour already. It's just absolutely incredible. Let me have our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I hope you have been praying every single day along with the prayer points. Some people are northern, so I'm just assuming if you're no northern, you're actually either feeling guilty or you are praying each and every single day. And we're on day 11 today, and I'm excited about what God's going to do as a result of our praying and fasting over these 21 days. And do you know what I'm most excited about? is those five people that I'm praying for every day. People I'm believing are going to be sitting next to me soon, worshipping Jesus. Every Sunday in church. I'm believing that. That's what I'm praying for. I'm trusting God for that every single day. And do you know, this week, somebody said to me this week, Stephen, do you think it's just the end thing that churches in January have these kind of weeks or 21 days or whatever of praying and fasting and that and my first response was it certainly looks like that but when I thought about it more I'm thinking thank you Jesus like that we're starting off this year God's people all over the place praying and fasting and seeking God for the year ahead and then of course Michael mentioned it already but that prayer event that Michael and I and Gregor was there and Dave Lantern was there uh, this week and then Shira with 200 other church leaders it was just incredible three hours on one night and three hours the next game one. And let me tell you, that was the quickest three hours of my life. Yeah. It just disappeared so quickly. It was so powerful to be praying for our nation. Pray. It was just incredible time together. And one of the biggest highlights for me, and it, just, it was just incredible that on the, the Tuesday night, somebody who I'd never ever met before spoke words over me and said two things over me, which was brought out. I was thinking, thank you, Jesus, I really needed that encouragement. Yeah. The next morning, in a different session with a total different person who I've never met before in my life, they said the exact, they could have been written word for word. They could have been writing a script. Yeah. Word for word. It's just incredible what God does when we pray. Yes. I'm excited about prayer. Yes. And I love what uh, William Temple, the, who used to be the Archbishop of Canterbury, said about prayer. And he said this, he said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. And of course we know there's no such thing as a coincidence. God is working and moving in these situations. So as we look at prayer today, I want you to turn with me to James chapter 5. And I want to read a few verses from verse 16 through to verse 18. And it will be up on the screens, but James chapter 5. And James writes there, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed endlessly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave up rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
Amen. Amen. And you know, I was thinking that whenever we start to speak about prayer, we can often face two different dangers when it comes to prayer. Firstly, we can make prayer seem like that it's just so difficult that only the super Christians, whoever they are, can pray effectively, where the rest of us, just normal people, just seem to muddle along. Sometimes the stories we tell about prayer warriors who spend hours and hours on their knees crying out to God, it can actually end up discouraging us. Why? Well, because we're busy. We're tired. The kids are wearing us out in our job. Well, that's just a hassle. Therefore, life starts to feel like a burden. And we start to think things like, well, if Martin Luther prayed for two hours every morning, but that was a long time ago. He's been dead for almost 500 years. Like, we start making up these excuses. You know what I mean? Be honest now. You know what I mean? It's easy to get intimidated by prayer. Or secondly, we can go to the opposite extreme. And make prayer seem like texting a friend so you can arrange to meet up for dinner and go watch a movie together. But that that method has the advantage of making you want to pray, but it can often lead to a really lightweight view of prayer. Instead of coming into God's presence to talk to your Heavenly Father, you can feel like you're just chatting to a friend who's sitting scrolling through Instagram when you try to share everything that's on your mind with them. Have you ever been in that situation? And so you end up with this wrong view of prayer. Let me tell you, it would be much better if we took the view of prayer that it's a gift from God that enables us to stay connected to the Lord of the universe. If we use the gift, we'll grow and grow deeper in our understanding and in our knowledge of God and what he wants for our lives. Let me tell you, prayer is a gift. Prayer is not a burden, it is a gift Our Father wants us to pray. He encourages us to pray. And he invites us to pray every single day. And that passage that I read at the beginning from James 5, it teaches us about the power of prayer. And we find in this passage, firstly, a pattern. Secondly, a promise. And thirdly, a proof. And it's not very often I preach a three-point alliteration sermon. But that's what we've got today. So let's take these three things one at a time. Firstly, we see in there a pattern to follow. In verse 16, at the first part of the verse, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let me tell you, I've not heard very many sermons preached on that verse. Why? We don't think about it very often because, in reality, we don't really know what to do with it. On one level, it's not that difficult to understand what, what James is saying. James gives us this three-part pattern to follow. Firstly, we confess to one another. Then we pray for one another. And then thirdly, we're healed. But there's a problem that we all face. And that problem is the very, very first step. That confession is never easy. Let's be honest. And that, that, it's the first instruction in that verse that always trips us up. Confession of sin is never, ever easy. Even when we know that that confession is good. For the soul. Proverbs 28.13 says. Whoever conceals their sins. Does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them. Finds mercy. That's the dilemma of this verse here in James. We know that we need to confess our sins. We even know that it's good for us. But even so we do whatever we can. To wiggle out of that obligation. And this is the only place. In the entire New Testament. Where we are told to confess our sins. To one another. Plenty of other verses in the Bible tell us to confess our sins directly to God. But this is the only place in the New Testament where we are told to confess one to another. 
And in thinking about that, we can't overlook the context from verses 13 right through to 15, which teaches us how to pray for the sick. And this whole passage <coughs> excuse me, emphasizes the, the communal nature of the Christian life. You see, what happens to you touches me. And what happens to me touches you. We need each other more than you know. And we need each other even more than when we are sick. But why are we hesitant to confess our sins? I can think of many reasons. It feels intrusive. It feels humbling. We're embarrassed. We're afraid. And our pride keeps us from admitting the truth. But let me pause and just ask a quick question off this text. Is James here thinking about private confession, so we just do it to one person, or is he, is he saying that we should have public confession? So is he thinking about private confession or public confession? And I would say the answer is yes, yes, depending on the circumstances. Most of the time, our confession will be to another person against whom we've sinned or done something wrong. But occasionally, we may need to be more public if the sin was of a public nature. And James here, let's be clear, James is not telling us to confess someone else's sin. We can't do that. That is a big waste of time. We can't force anyone to confess. After all, as Dale Carnegie wrote in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. We aren't called to beat people in to confession. James wants us here in this passage to think about the man in the mirror rather than the man next door. And if you're married, don't keep a record of sins of your husband or wife. Let me tell you what good does that do? Absolutely none. Keep track of your own shortcomings and then be quick to confess them to the one that you love. And you'll always get someone who'll say, ha, yes, I've done something wrong, I've sinned, but they sinned against me. That's probably true. See, it's very rare where the fault is 100% with one person. What do you do if another person refuses to confess their sin? Let me tell you, the answer is not very hard to find. The answer for that is simply this. Take care of your side of the street. And God will take care of the other side of the street. As simple as that. But what happens when this is ignored though? We live in guilt. We live in isolation. The fever spreads. Joy disappears. Anger increases. Self-loathing dominates. Friendships end. Trust erodes. So we confess together so that we might pray together. Confession clears the way for prayer to happen. Otherwise, there'll just be obstacles in the road, just like Diane was talking about. But confession clears away those obstacles. And James pictures the church as a community of believers where we are close enough to be honest and, and open enough to be real with each other. We don't come in here and pretend to be people that we're not. We're open and we're honest and we're real with one another. When that happens, I believe true healing can take place. And let me tell you, when we try and do that, the devil will try and fight us every single step of the way. He will use it against us. It's the shame and guilt of what we've done and the recurring thought, the recurring thought that if, if others knew what we've been doing. So what do we do when we have that? We live in the shadowy realm of fear, worried that someone might find out the truth about us, desperately hoping for a, a way out of the situation. And we'll not get better until we decide to do whatever it takes to be pure before God. You can't have clean hands until you decide to wash off the dirt. And the devil hates it when we start, as Christians, we confess our sins. 
And I once heard a Christian counsellor say this, and he said, and he kept on repeating this one key phrase when he was speaking, he said, you're only as sick as your secrets. Then he would add, if you've got a lot of secrets, then you're really sick. And he's right. And the cure to those secrets that's piled up is found in verse 16. Confession, prayer, healing. Confession, prayer, healing. See, when we sin, everything within us screams. It screams out when we, when we do something wrong. Cover it up, turn off the lights, bury the evidence, delete the photos and the videos, get rid of all those WhatsApp messages. Sorry, it just happened to get deleted. I'm really sorry. Make up an alibi. Leave the scene of the crime. Run, run, run. That's what we think when we do something wrong. And John 4 tells us a story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And he caught our attention with this promise of living water that would quench thirst deep within her soul. And when she asked Jesus for that living water, Jesus responds by saying, go call on your husband and come back. And on one level, when you read that story, it appears like Jesus has been really insensitive to this lady. Why bring up anything about her past? Is Jesus trying to embarrass her? But of course the answer is no. His instruction to call her husband, it might have made her feel very uncomfortable. And she doesn't want to go into detail, so she simply replies, I have no husband. That was true, but it wasn't the whole story. She knew she was hiding the truth. But what she didn't know is that Jesus knows it too. This woman had, had, has had five husbands and the man that she's currently living with is not her husband. So do, does Jesus love this woman? Absolutely yes. He knows the truth and he still offers her eternal life. Yes. So just bear that in mind when you look at someone else's life and you judge someone else's life. Jesus knows the truth and he still offers them grace and eternal life. This is a wonder of God's grace working. Only someone who loves for you can look at your past without even blinking. Real love means knowing the truth about someone else and reaching out to them anyway. And the, and the best part of this story that I think comes in verse 39, where it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. See, once the woman's secrets were out in the open, she was set free and a revival happened in that town. So if you're ready to be rid of your secrets, you can be set free. So we have a pattern to follow. Secondly, we have a promise to believe. James 5, verse 16, the second part of that verse says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I love this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that word translated effective comes from a Greek word which is energio, which literally means effective or active or operative. The effective prayers of the righteous have great power with God. But that begs the question though, what's an effective prayer? What is an effective prayer? Let me tell you, it's got nothing to do with standing or sitting or kneeling or lying down. It has nothing to do with lifting your voice or speaking in a whisper. It has nothing to do with how loud or how long you pray or whether you open your eyes or keep them closed. And let me tell you, I've heard all sorts of nonsense. I've heard people come and saying, I went to this prayer meeting and it was rubbish because nobody was shouting, nobody was jumping about, it was all just people praying quietly. And I'm thinking, man, oh man, like, what Bible do you read? Yeah. Like, just nonsense. Or people criticising other people because they have their eyes open when they're praying. Like, I'm telling you, like, I pray when I'm walking the dog. If I had my eyes shut, I'd get run over by a car. Like, let's be honest and real here. Like, it's nothing to do with any of that stuff. Like, absolutely nothing to do with any of that stuff. And people will come up with all sorts 
of nonsense. So what is an effective prayer? Let me tell you, when you take your child away for life-saving surgery, you'll discover what an effective prayer is. When your children are in trouble, you'll pray effective prayers to God. When anything becomes life or death to you, you'll pray an earnest, fervent, effective prayer. And it won't matter how long or how short you pray. And I once heard a, a conference speaker share a story about something that happened in his life around about prayer. And I'm not going to tell you his name because we had a private conversation afterwards, which I'm going to share some of, so I don't want to tell you who this person was. But he said in this conference when he was speaking, and he told the story of when him and his wife were in a car crash. And his wife was really, really badly hurt. She was unconscious, and her life was hanging in the balance. And he was relatively uninjured. And as they travelled in that ambulance to the hospital, he was, of course, worried. He was panicking. He knew that he should pray. And he recounted in that moment that the only thing he could do was just repeat over and over and over, Oh God, oh Jesus, oh God, oh Jesus, oh God, oh Jesus. There was no shouting. There was no rolling about the floor. His eyes were wide open. None of that stuff. He just prayed, Oh God, oh Jesus, oh God, oh Jesus. And then I spoke to him afterwards, after he had finished and we were chatting about that, and I told him that his story reminded me of the day that Charlotte was born. You see, Elizabeth was a couple of weeks overdue by this point, and, and Elizabeth's waters broke really early in the morning on the 9th of October. And then we discovered that there was some uh, meniconum in, Charlotte's, uh, in Elizabeth's waters when they broke, and so when we spoke to the hospital, they advised us to come into the hospital, and then when we were there, they said that we were going to induce, induce Elizabeth to try and speed along the delivery process. Let me tell you, some 26 hours later, there was still no sign of Charlotte. It feels a little bit like a Sunday morning trying to get Charlotte up for church. And then they said, we're going to have to do an emergency C-section. And so they took Elizabeth off to get ready, and they took me into a little room, and they told me to get changed and put this hospital gown thing on. And then the midwife said to me, Stephen, I don't want you to be alarmed. When you go into the, the operating theatre room, there's going to be a lot of people there. And they're, they're, they're just as a, a precaution because we had that meconium earlier, and so they're just there just in case. We're not expecting anything, but just in case they're there, ready to jump into action if there's anything wrong with your child. So I'm sitting there, and as they took Elizabeth away, and I'm sitting there thinking, knowing in my head, I should be praying here. But I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to pray. And I just prayed, and the only thing I could pray was, Jesus, make it okay. Jesus, make it okay. Jesus, make it okay. There wasn't any shouting. There wasn't any hollering. I wasn't speaking in tongues. There wasn't anybody interpreting. It was just me saying, Jesus, make it okay. Jesus, make it okay. And then I went in, and they came and got me and took me into the room. And despite that warning, there's going to be a lot of people that did not prepare me for what I saw when I walked in there. And then I, I was just even more like, wow, panicking, thinking, what do I do here? Jesus, make it okay. Jesus, make it okay. And so there's me sitting, or I can't remember if I was sitting or standing, uh, up beside Elizabeth's head, chatting to her, holding her hand, where they're doing what they had to do. And at one point during the procedure, the anaesthetist says to me, Stephen, if you stand up, you can have a look. And I'm just <laughs> thinking, no chance am I having a look over there. And let me tell you, it was proper, like, rough and physical, and, 
if you work in that profession, you know what I'm talking about. Like, it was, wasn't it gentle when they were doing this operation? And uh, I'm just sitting there praying, Jesus, make it okay. Like, I didn't have the words. I didn't know what to say. Yeah, in that moment, Charlotte, of course, was delivered fine. Those people disappeared really quickly and everything was okay. But that day, though, I felt like that was the first time I had ever prayed in my entire life. And when I shared that with that conference speaker that day, he said the exact same thing. He said that was the first time in my life that I had ever really prayed he just simply said, oh God, oh Jesus, oh God, oh Jesus. His wife was recovered and was well. Effective prayer. Yeah. Like, don't get all these wrong ideas in your head that to be effective in prayer, you need to have all the fancy words and you need to know all the, the proper lingo and the proper actions to do. Forget all of that stuff. You just need to pray. Just say whatever you need to say. God knows and God understands what you're going through in that moment. That is an effective prayer that day I felt like I prayed for the first time in my life and God answered so we have a pattern to follow, secondly we have a promise to believe and then thirdly we have a proof to remember, three P's today, a pattern, promise and a proof and we read in verse 17 from James 5, James writes Elijah was a human being even as we are he prayed endlessly that it would not rain and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. See, in verse 17, it adds a fascinating fact about Elijah when it calls him a human being, even as we are. The King James Version says he was a man of like passions. He was like you and he was just like me. Read the story about Elijah and see for yourself. Elijah had ups and downs. He was a little rough around the edges. He was not polished. He was not refined and anyway, when he gets a message from God, he's going to take action. Yeah. And you're not going to talk him out of taking this action. He was far from perfect. He's got a temper, he's prone to depression and discouragement. But James, James uses him as an example for us to follow. Because despite his human weaknesses, he was a man of prayer who walked with God during an evil generation. And though he was an imperfect mountain man, he was also a man of prayer and he had enormous faith in God. And that's why his story is recounted here in the book of James. And Elijah was a man of extremes. It's easy to argue with, to, with James when you think of all Elijah did. He was a man of extremes, never settling for the moderate middle. When Elijah was at his best, he called down fire from heaven and defeated 850 false prophets. And when Elijah was at his worst, he ran across the desert in fear and ended up hiding in a cave on Mount Horeb. He did nothing by halves. Talk about life on the edge. He was on the edge half the time and he was over the edge the other half of the time. What about that story though of Elijah laying himself on the body of a dead child and praying for God to bring him back to life? Who would have the faith in this room watching online to do that? But he was an ordinary man, just like you and me. But then we start to think, we're not like Elijah though. And I would just simply say, or are we? Elijah was not some sort of superhuman man in a category far beyond us mere mortals. He experienced all the emotions of life, joy, sorrow, victory, defeat, frustration, encouragement, discouragement, anger, forgiveness, despair, relief. <coughs> and often we face this twofold danger 
when we study a life of great accomplishment. Sometimes we tend to elevate that person, treating them as if they were exempt from the normal temptations in life. And it's easy, if you wanted to, chisel Elijah's head on some, some sort of religious Mount Rushmore and say there was never such a man before Elijah. There's never been a man since. Or we might focus on the opposite end of the scale and focus on a great person's failures, on their faults, on their weaknesses, exposing every single sin and every single foolish mistake so that in the end, they seem like they're not very great at all. We pull them down in the muck and mire of ordinary life until the lure of their greatness has disappeared underneath the surface of their frailty. But let me remind you, Elijah was just like you and just like me. All the heroes of the Bible had their weaknesses and Elijah, well, he was no exception. This is one of the reasons why I believe we are drawn to such a person like Elijah. God used him in spite of his weaknesses. After his greatest victory when he defeated those false prophets, what did Elijah do? He ran away and hid. He ran away. God had to go and find him and take him back and talk him back to his senses and then God used him all over again. And that's a good story. Why? Because it's our story. We've all run away under pressure. We've all given up, thrown the towel, quit the race, caved in when the heat was on. No one is strong all the time. We're all made from the same clay. And Elijah's story is our story. Why? Because Elijah's God is our God too. Just as, after he, just as he came after Elijah, he comes after you. Comes after you and me again and again and again. He doesn't know when to quit. He doesn't just accept our letter of resignation. He finds us, he calls us, he refines us, he rebukes us, he encourages us, and then he refits us, and then he commissions us to go all over again. James wants us to remember that this imperfect man of God prayed, and the rain stopped. And it didn't rain in Israel for three and a half years. And in the first service, I, I made a joke and said, Lord, make it stop raining for three and a half hours. But of course, when people went out, it was still raining. Jesus, I still got faith. Make it stop raining. Let this storm that I predicted not come. Amen. So he prayed and it never rained for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the heavens opened up and the rain fell from heaven, ending the drought. See, if God will listen to Elijah's prayers, he will certainly listen to our prayers. If God listened to Elijah, he will certainly listen to us. If you need something big in your life, a breakthrough, a healing, a miracle... The best advice I can give you today, pray and ask for it. Pray and ask for it. And let me remind you, there's no extra charge for big requests. Big requests are entirely biblical. Sometimes we shrink back from those big requests because we think they're too much for us to ask. And let me tell you, I think this kind of thinking reveals a man-centered theology in our lives. See, when we pray... We're coming to the God of the universe who holds all things together. So why not ask for the things that we need? And it's quite true, there's no extra charge for large requests. And as a band coming, we start to wrap this up. The question is though, what's the application of this message today? What are we to do with this stuff we read about prayer from James? Well, I'd encourage us, let's confess our sins. If you need to come before God today, then come before God and say, hey, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the things I've done. 
If you need to go to another person in this room watching online, wherever they are, and you need to go and say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for what I did. Don't go there thinking that if I say sorry, then they must say sorry back. Just go and say sorry. Like, just go and say sorry. That I'm really sorry that I did this. Confess. Then pray so that God might heal us. Can I encourage you to pray effective prayers? Because those prayers get God's attention. And remember Elijah, when you're thinking and praying, remember Elijah and ask God for what you need. In the end, prayer is not a burden. It's not a burden. It's not a duty, but it's a blessed privilege for all of us. We should not be praying because we have to. We should be praying because we want to. So let's pray with confidence, expecting that God will answer our prayers. Nothing is too great to ask, and nothing, nothing, nothing is too hard for God. So let me ask you, Found Church, are you ready to pray? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.